Okay. Well, you know, for uh, if you have been coming to Beth Messiah for a number of years, you know that uh, we have uh, become merciful in our old age, right? And that probably from about the year 1998 or 99 until about 2012, uh, we had our service for Sukkot, our, our uh, Sukkot Shabbat service outside. Right, And we would have, the only thing that would have kept us, well, it was is rain, not the cold, but the rain. But we might have figured something out. So, uh, uh, and, and of course, uh, we might say, oh how, oh, how uncomfortable. But in a way, you know, that's the point. You, you know, uh, Sukkot is a holiday uh, that epitomizes the paradox of the Bible the paradox of what it means to know the Lord. You know what that means, a paradox? It's not something you wash things with or, you know, you don't clean with paradox or, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Paradox is a statement or a belief or a proposition that seems self-contradictory or absurd, but in reality expresses a truth. Like, for example, one of the most famous paradoxes in the Bible is the last shall be first. You know, we say, see, we're just so used to that. We're like inoculated. But the statement doesn't make any sense, right, on the surface. Now, the last star, that means last, by definition, is like the opposite of first. See? But we know Yeshua says the last shall be first. The humble shall be exalted. No, 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 wait a minute. That's not what that means. In real life, under the sun, which we'll get to, but... Uh, no, you see, in the kingdom of, of the heavens, uh, when God is the king, paradox is everywhere. Yeshua's life epitomized paradox. He's the king. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He is the all-powerful one. But in his physical life, he came as a servant. He came as a person who was made fun of, a person who was misunderstood, a person who uh, was submissive to the forces of evil in this world. That is a paradox. And I could go on and on. You know what another paradox is? Be holy, for I, the Lord, yourself am holy. Okay, well, that's great, except the way I understand it, perfection is not a possibility in this life. And that if we say we do not sin, we make him a liar. Yet at the very same time, we're called sanctified. So that, in other words, the point is to say, well, you know what? I'm going to get it. All right, I know it's like, you know, the sanctification is progressive, and I'm going to get there. But it's interesting that the Bible says we, we, we move forward, but we don't get there uh, in this flesh and blood. That is also a paradox. The Jewish people are the chosen people, yet have been uh, persecuted and have wandered this earth much more or much longer than they have ever lived in, a, in any kind of promised land. That is a paradox, see? And so the Bible is filled with them. And, and Sukkot is like the poster child holiday of paradox. Because let's say we were having our service outside. Boy, I could really make that point outside. Hey, no, never mind. It's okay. If we were outside, we'd all be sitting there saying, oh, he better not speak for a long time because, you know, today I'm going to get really mad if he does. Because, you know, it's cold, it's rainy. What's the point? Why? Ah. But you see, the whole idea, the whole idea is 
dwell in these flimsy structures that are uncomfortable, not like serene and just rural and agricultural in nature, and I love the backdrop, and I love the smell of the great outdoors. And, and No, that's not the idea of the sukkah. The idea is that it's uncomfortable, see? Because the discomfort reminds us that our real comfort is God and not in houses and in furnaces, and God bless whoever invented those, right? Uh, you know, and, and that our comfort is not in uh, the accumulation of wealth or in bricks or in mortar, but in God. It's kind of like the same theme as fasting in a way, you know. Uh, and, uh, and, and so the paradox is it's zman simchatenu. It's, the, it's the, uh, the season of our rejoicing in discomfort. That doesn't seem to make any sense. Again, this great, great great paradox, right? So what does it all mean? What does it all mean? Well, you know, I, uh, the other thing about Sukkot is I give more messages on Sukkot than any other holiday. We celebrate it longer than any other holiday. Think about that. Last Sunday night, last Monday morning, and if you uh, come to any of the, Chav- the weekday Chavura, uh, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, and now this morning, Okay. So there's a lot to say about Sukkot. And if you were here last Sunday night or Monday morning, you heard most, you, you know, you heard all about, um, uh, you know, the, what the booths mean and the wilderness and agriculture and how, um, uh, you know, the holidays follow uh, the, um, a, a prophetic meaning and, and all of that. But today I thought we would talk about this concept that Sukkot reminds us that we are still on a journey and really focus on that today, the journey aspect of Sukkot. And by the way, if you were here on Wednesday morning, I mean, if you were not here on Wednesday morning, be, be uh, proud of all who were here because, you know, Wednesday is when the, the weather started changing. But we went outside for basically an hour and a half uh, on Wednesday, and everybody sat at tables, and we had a great, uh, a great time uh, together uh, outside. And, uh, and that is, um, you know, that epitomizes Sukkot. And I will just say today, plan A was to have the entire egg outside, all the food, everything outside in the Sukkot, okay? But uh, taking our human frailty into consideration, uh, we went uh, to plan B. And plan B is the egg is inside. However, there are tables and chairs outside, and you're more than welcome Far be it from me to keep you from the joy of the sukkah. Okay, there you go. All right, very good. So I wanted to focus today on the journey. And then uh, after the message today, we're going to come and we're going to have an opportunity to shake the lulav. We'll hear lots of music and really experience that, uh, that great joy. Okay, so Sukkot reminds us that we have not yet reached the promised land. So it's kind of interesting, isn't it? That Sukkot is not a holiday uh, other than prophetically, you know, of uh, prophetically of pointing to that. But in its actual meaning, it's about a journey. It's about we're not quite there yet because uh, what do we do uh, at, uh, at Sukkot? Uh, at Sukkot, we pray for the next season. We pray that there would be rain. So, We've like come to the end of a season, and we rejoice in the ingathering of the agriculture, 
you know, and uh, we rejoice at the end of a spiritual year as well, tying together the three pilgrimage festivals of, uh, of uh, Passover, basically, uh, Shavuot, and, uh, and Sukkot. Uh, but it's like a, it's part of a never-ending cycle. And so in a way, Sukkot reminds us that we have not yet arrived. If it reminds us physically that we have arrived, then we wouldn't dwell in a sukkah. We might dwell in a sukkah on Shavuot, and then uh, uh, you know rejoice in brick and mortar on uh, on this holiday, and that would be just right, right? We have uh, our salvation uh, in the Lord at Passover, and then Shavuot reminds us of the journey, and then uh, Sukkot reminds us of the end of the journey. But it doesn't remind us of the end of the journey, even though we read in Zechariah that in that day all the nations will come to Jerusalem and worship the Lord, uh, and so on. Yet, uh, 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 today, whether we are a Messiah follower or not, life goes on. Wintertime is coming. The uncomfortableness of the environment is on its way. And Sukkot kind of reminds us of that. Again, this paradox. Having arrived, but yet not having arrived. We know that a a main theme for us is God is in our midst, and it's a reminder of the kingdom come. You know, and uh, uh, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur are a picture of repentance, forgiveness, and then experiencing the joy of reunification with God, of restoration, like an ending. But yet it's not an ending, because tomorrow is Sunday, and the next day is Monday, and it's going to get cold and dreary, and we're still here. You see, so it kind of reminds us uh, of of that, of this fact that we're still on this journey, though uh, in a spiritual way, typologically, as a picture, it reminds us, you know, of uh, the fulfillment uh, of all. But, uh, you know, I believe very much that um, while that's true of what it reminds us of, that we're not to deny the world we live in. We're not to deny it as if it doesn't exist, as if when, when we are ill, to say, I'm not really ill, it's just in my mind. No, you really are ill, you know, and if you have a disease, you really have a disease, you know. Uh, those are, certainly are very heavy things, but you see, they're all part of our, uh, of our journey. Whatever happens to us in life is part of our journey, and not to be denied, but to be embraced, not to be loved embraced, but to own it. And to move forward through it. That's the story of the Israelites in the wilderness. That is the story of Israel. Uh, uh, Denying it, trying to deny it and say, let's go back. But no, they continually had to move forward. And and it was a hard time. It was 40 years altogether. 38 years of actual wandering. Two years by a mountain in the middle of nowhere. And that also is a very important part of the story, by the way, as we'll see that that mountain is in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and, uh, and, and so Sukkot, we, Sukkot reminds us of all of this. And that's why we read Ecclesiastes on this holiday. Isn't that interesting? I asked uh, at our Chavura, uh, the men and women, we all came together to celebrate Sukkot. So I asked, what book in the wisdom literature do we read on Sukkot? And of course, no one, unless you took the MSI, one of the several MSI courses that relate to this, 
uh, you would not, probably would not know, or you grew up uh, in the synagogue, you probably would not know. You would think, oh, well, maybe Song of Solomon, maybe Lamentations, that it, maybe. But Ecclesiastes, why would we, on the, the season of our rejoicing, why would we read the book of Ecclesiastes? Of course, you need to come to the Torah study to really understand that today, but because that's what we're going to talk about today is Ecclesiastes. But because it's a paradox. Ecclesiastes is not this mysterious, crazy book that you might think it is. In fact, I preached through it once, and that takes some real courage. Uh, you know, and you know how I did that, if you remember? I took songs, you know, popular songs from the 1960s and 1970s, because those were the songs that I knew, right? And applied songs to the different passages. Because songs in our culture are mostly about the paradox paradoxes of life, right? We sing songs because, you know, we like to sing songs. But a lot of times, the most famous songs are about sadness, not about happiness. When we think of songs, we think of joy or happiness. Let's sing songs. But the songs that most of us remember are songs about real life. So, you know, those country western songs are the best, right? You know, the, whatever. You can just picture many of them in your mind, right? But all the, all the uh, popular uh, ones. And I remember mostly two songs uh, that, uh, that, that epitomize the book of Ecclesiastes. One is the song Nowhere Man, okay? And the other one was, how, what is the actual name of the song? Uh, n- satisfaction or No Satisfaction or there, there Ain't No Satisfaction or whatever it is by the Rolling Stones. Uh, and, uh, and there you go. Kind of a, uh, it's a reflection of the culture uh, and what we read in Ecclesiastes. Under the sun. Everything under the sun. Under the sun. That is, listen to me really closely on this one. That is the key phrase of that book. Yes, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Yes, he says it a lot. But the key, the key to unlocking the book is under the sun. And not sun as in son of God. Don't read that into that, okay? No. All right, which I have, believe it or not, have read. Yikes. All right, under the sun means in this world. In this world, life is a paradox, right? And the key is at the end of the book. But this is not a message on Ecclesiastes. Uh, it's, it's about Sukkot and about this idea of journey and of, um, of a paradox. Really, the point of the book of Ecclesiastes is to enjoy the things of this world, but not to put all our eggs in that basket. To enjoy them because that's our lot in this world. We live and God has given us gifts of of life and of family and of things, but it's not all there is. And those things, if we place all of our trust in them, we will be very dissatisfied. But it doesn't mean to stick your head in the sand and live a life of utter uh, failure and hopelessness and pretend that that's some kind of spirituality. See? Uh, and, uh, and, and that's very important. Also on Sukkot. Okay, so back to the journey. That Sukkot uh, is a reminder, a picture of this journey of life and the ebbs and the flows uh, that go with it. The happy times, the bad times, all of it. And this idea of journey and moving forward, and waiting, and not being satisfied with where we are right now, 
is everywhere, everywhere in, uh, in the Bible. Okay? You know, there is a famous passage in the book of Habakkuk. Okay? Uh, it's um, when uh, Habakkuk cries out to God, he doesn't understand his circumstances. He doesn't understand the circumstances of, of his people. He doesn't know why God has not intervened. He's wondering where God is. And so God tells him, and, they ha- you know, and, and uh, he still doesn't quite understand, and he wants his visitation from God. And this is what the Lord says. I just wanted to point out one verse about a vision that he receives. But this is what God says about the vision. It's in chapter 2 of verse 3. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal. It will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. You talk about paradox. There you go. Look at those words carefully. The vision is for not now. What I'm going to tell you is going to happen, but it's not now. And it's going to happen. It's, it's moving forward. Everything in life is moving forward toward it, and it is going to happen. And it will not delay. But though it tarries, wait for it. So, in other words, from God's perspective, it's coming, it's happening, nothing's getting in the way. But from where I am, it seems to be taking an awfully long time. And it seems to be very uncomfortable while I'm here. And it seems like nothing is happening. See? But he's encouraged, God is encouraging him, saying, you wait, you wait. Now he's going to define waiting here, okay? Waiting doesn't mean becoming an ascetic, uh, becoming like uh, a person who's going to say, well, I'm going to leave everything I have and go into the wilderness and just sit there and wait. That is what the Essenes did. That was their big mistake, if you know anything about them. They left Jerusalem and went out into the wilderness and lived this life of poverty, waiting. They waited until they died and died out and died off, okay? Uh, That is not, unless God calls you to a unique ministry, that is not the norm, okay? But this is what God says. This is how he defines waiting. So right after he says, it will certainly come, it will not delay, the text says, behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, okay? But the righteous will live by his faith. Oh, that's where that comes from, yes, This is where it comes from when you read it in Romans, when you read it in Hebrews, when you read it in Galatians, when you read it every... It comes from here. And this is what it means to wait. It means those who are righteous. Righteous doesn't mean perfect. Righteous means in covenant relationship with God will live by faith. And that doesn't mean simply living by by, um, uh, trusting what I don't see. It includes that. It includes that. But that's just one little part of it. Because literally, in Hebrew, what it means is live by faithfulness. Live by faithfulness. But those who are just, those who are righteous, those who are a covenant, who are in covenant relationship with God, first, we'll live. We'll live. We'll do what living people do. Continue on in life by faithfulness, by trusting God, by living in his ways. That's what we do. That is what this life is. It's not about sizzles. It's about the stake. It's not about bells and whistles. It's not about this experience after this experience. And if I don't have an experience, then God is not here. If I don't feel it, God is not here. Or if everything doesn't go just right, God is not here. No, it is a steady, stable walk of obedience, of faithfulness to God. 
I will say, in all of my years, year, years. And, and I would venture to guess, if you've been around a long time, and especially if you uh, counsel people or you speak into people's lives, you know that the most successful people who walk with the Lord are people who are steady, steady, walking, growing in the faith, uh, in the Word, in prayer, practicing spiritual disciplines, which allow us to make better choices than otherwise, generally speaking, as, as we go on in life, you know? And from time to time, you know, God speaks into our lives and there's a, a moment, a, a, you know, a great emotional moment or, a, or just this moment of, of, a, of a, a greater anointing or presence of God. But that's not how we define our relationship with God. It's a relationship, just like a relationship with a wife or a husband or a loved one. If we defined a relationship with our spouse by how many presents have I received, that only leads to um, that only leads to, um, uh, in, in some cases, terrible uh, dysfunction and hatreds and, and um, resentment and who got what and I didn't get that. And may I suggest that some of us live our lives in the Lord that way, sadly, sadly, right? And so it is this journey. And again, Sukkot epitomizes uh, the, uh, the, uh, the journey. Now, there's lots of places, and I'm not going to turn to them all, in the Bible that talk about this, uh, this uh, uh, kind of, uh, of, of, of journey. Okay? I, uh, for example, there's lots of passages in the New Covenant that talk about putting on and putting off. Put on uh, you know, righteousness. Put on forgiveness. Put on this way of life. Take this off. Put this on. It's a process. Uh, quite clearly... Uh, you know, we have uh, indeed uh, not, uh, not, arrived, uh, not arrived yet. Uh, we read about, for example, uh, pressing on, right? Press on. Uh, now, that's a very interesting phrase that also uh, comes from the Hebrew Scriptures. Isn't it amazing that so many passages in the New Covenant are echoes of passages that are uh, in uh, the Prophets? You'd think that the people that wrote the New Testament knew something about it, right? Copycats. Okay. So, you know, in Hosea chapter 6, we even sing a song sometimes. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. Okay? Okay. Press on. All right. Let me just tell you what that word means. I, I, I cut and pasted it right out of uh, lexicon. Pursue, chase, make linear motion with considerable effort and focus. Pursue, be driven, uh, uh, let's see, now in a negative way, harass or systematically oppress someone, be hounded, follow, strive after. That's what, it's not press as in, you know, let's, let's, let's just press on. No, it's let's move forward. Let us not leave God alone. And didn't Yeshua tell a parable about that? Right? Yes, he did. Okay. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, you know, it reminds me of something I saw this week. I can't help it. Something that, that I saw this week on television. I happened to be watching Jeopardy, and there was one category called Jesus. And it was a very odd thing for me to hear Jesus for 600. You know what I mean? It was very, very strange. So let's turn off our phones right now so I don't be reminded of that and end up saying something like that again. Okay? Thank you. All right. All right. 
Uh, and, and, and so, uh, I, uh, you know, I don't even remember what I was saying now. Okay, thank you. Right? To uh, press on. That's right. To uh, uh, pers- oh, oh, the parable that Yeshua told about prayer. Remember? Not leaving the judge alone and hawking and hawking and hawking. That's what we're supposed to do. Right? Uh, pursue. Press on. Know the Lord. You know, uh, it's, like, it's like if you um, are trying to figure out the answer to an equation, like, you know, in school, and, and you say, I'm going to get this before I go to school tomorrow morning, and I'm just going to work this thing. I'm going to figure this out no matter how late I have to stay up tonight. I'm going to figure this thing out, right? That's like pursuing, pursuing God, right? Chasing after God, right? Uh, it reminds me of a, of a book by uh, a Tozer, right? Uh, what is it? What's the name of it? Pursuing God. There you go. That's right. Uh, which I think I gave to many people at some point in the past. Anyway, and then, of course, we read that in the New Covenant. And you know what? The word means the very same thing. When Paul says, press on, let us press on, the word means, go look it up in a lexicon. It means the very, very, uh, the very same thing. Um, what I, what I um, here I cut and pasted that too. To move rapidly and decidedly toward an objective, hasten, run. That's what it means. Not Press on, right? But press on. Let's move forward uh, in every sense using all of us. Kind of reminds me of the Shema in a way. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Every bit of you. Not just intellectually, not just emotionally, or, uh, but, but with everything uh, indeed uh, that we have. Those words remind us that we are on a journey. We're not there yet because we have to press on. If we were there, we would not press on. But we're always, we always need to be in the sense of moving forward. We like to say we're always in the process of becoming, right? Uh, uh, And it's true, hopefully, that we know the Lord better today than we did five years ago. Uh, That... uh, uh, in any relationship, hopefully it is growing and moving forward, and so with the Lord. And we know that this is not all there is, that we are moving forward uh, in history. The overarching story of the Bible is about people walking, wandering, looking for something. In a sense, it's about losing something and gaining it back. The very beginning of the Bible is man in relationship with God. The very end of the Bible is man in relationship with God. And everything in between the third chapter of Genesis and the end of the book of Revelation is about getting back there. And so we could say in the most big picture, cosmic picture of all, all of humanity has been on a journey for thousands of years trying to find the Garden of Eden and trying to figure it out. Now, you know, in, uh, in uh, the New Covenant, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul, in a sense, talks about this journey. And he says, and he uses, I think, Sukkot as the background for it, when he says, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. We're not there yet. Same thing in Romans 8, right? Uh, We groan, yes, we ourselves groan, waiting for the redemption of our body. We're not there yet. 
journey. Even as Messiah followers, we are on a journey. Israel on a journey. This entire humanity on a journey. Then he says, uh, Inasmuch as we, having put it on, shall not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed in order that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Okay? So then he says, therefore also uh, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. So Paul is in this place where uh, he'd rather be with the Lord, but he's here and he realizes that he's on this journey and he has not arrived. And that means there is no perfection in this life. But that this life, yes, is filled with tsuris, is filled with ebbs and flows. There are happy times, there are sad times, there are bad times, there are good times, there are worrisome times, there are hurtful times, there's good weather, there's bad weather. It rains on the just and the unjust, right? That's everywhere in the Bible, all right? Uh, very important. Now, in the very same book, if you go back a chapter to chapter 4 and verse 16, this is where he says, the very famous passage, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Now, I said this on Wednesday morning, and we all need to get that, get this. You know, this is one of the last things that he wrote. He was old when he wrote this, or as old as he was going to get. Okay? Uh, now, a book like 1 Thessalonians, that was written very early very early in his career. That's where he says, the dead and Messiah shall rise first, and we who are alive, he seemed to be pretty confident that he was going to be alive. But he wrote 2 Corinthians years later, after all those whippings and, you know, uh, and tough boat rides and imprisonment, and, and he saw like the end of the line might come before the Lord returns. Which, by the way, in and of itself, is, the journey, is part of the journey. That he had this understanding that over time and over years of experience began to change. That his understanding of like when the end is coming changed as his years went on. It's fascinating. Fascinating. That he talks about the, his, the outer body decaying. He talks about desiring to be with the Lord and this earthly tent I, I tore down, we have a building from God, and that we groan. Very interesting. And so, can't most of us say that that outer body is decaying? I'm sure we can get an amen on that, right? Uh, yeah. uh, you know. and, uh, and so the point being is that inside of us, though, is the pledge. Inside of us is the ruach. Inside of us is like, when we talk about the, the, the future today, the future is Yeshua. The future is Yeshua dwelling in us via the Ruach HaKodesh. That's the future, you see? And he dwells within us. That's why all kinds of tsuris can be floating around us, but I'm not going to go down in the quicksand. I'm not going to go down in the quicksand because I'm being renewed day by day. Even if I'm dying, even if I have a disease, 
The outer man is decaying. We put a lot of stock in that outer man. Literally, stock in that outer man, you know? Uh, And of course, we do want to live healthy lives, and God gave us our bodies, no doubt, right? However, uh, it will not last for, this body will not last forever, no. Uh, It is a new body, a new body, not a resuscitated body, a new body that we will have that will last forever, okay? Very important. And so again, we see uh, this concept of uh, uh, we are uh, we are traveling, right? That we are we are traveling. Okay, um, you know it's interesting that uh, uh, there's a, a, a lot of places in the uh, in the text of the Bible uh, and elsewhere uh, that help us to understand to uh, help us understand this. So, for example, Israel. Uh, Israel dwelling uh, in uh, meeting with God at, at Sinai. Uh, that is fascinating, that they had to leave Egypt in order to, they had to leave in order to receive. You know, for, go back to Abraham. Abraham had to leave Ur of the Chaldeans in order to receive the promise of God. The Israelites had to leave Egypt in order to receive uh, the, uh, the promise of, uh, of God. If I had more time, which, which unfortunately I don't, I would read a great passage from a book called Sinai to Zion about, and I'll just describe it, about the fact that they met God in the middle of nowhere and that God becomes identified as uh, this God of these people who are nomads in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and that and that this God is uh, like an unmanageable God. He appears in smoke and with great sounds, and, and they follow him uh, through the middle of nowhere. Uh, and, uh, and that their whole uh, identity in relating to God is as people who are traveling, people who are on a, on a journey. And it is fascinating that in the history of the Jewish people, if you read in the Bible that we have not been able to tolerate spiritually being settled in the land. Because when we're settled in the land, we forget about God, and we sin, and we have to leave the land. And then we come back, and basically the same thing happens. And the Messiah appears, and we don't even recognize him. He's right, right in front of us, face to face. And the most spiritual people, the people that have studied it all, don't, don't see him. We have to leave the land again. And in a way, we haven't come back. We've come back, but we haven't come back, right? Israel is back in the land, but not in relationship with God as a, as a people. And it's full of problems, full of, full of problems still right now. And the majority of us don't live in the land. So in a way, we're still in exile and, and having experienced all kinds of suffering uh, over the years. And the whole world is still in exile, from God, uh, not embracing the Lord, and suffering all kinds of manner of, uh, of, of, dis, of discomfort, okay? Uh, and, uh, and so we need to recognize that on Sukkot, that, you know, uh, boy, you know, in the Bible, the word, you take the word walk, you take the word road, you take the word light, all 
all words that describe being on a journey, okay? Uh, and, and what Sukkot tells us is, is that we have uh, not gotten there yet, right? Uh, but uh, that the day will come indeed uh, when, uh, when we will, okay? Uh, now, you know, we are on a journey uh, here, uh, here at Beth Messiah. We are on a journey. God is, uh, is indeed, God is indeed moving us. Uh, and he is uh, 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 moving us forward. Because, you know, just like uh, the tendency of, uh, of our ancestors, for example. Uh, you know, in Egypt, Egypt was an urban place that uh, had an infrastructure. And even though they were slaves, they knew where their next meal was coming from, right? God didn't want them there. He wanted them to rely on him, so he brings them in the wilderness. When Yeshua came, certainly he could have done anything. He could have just had just knocked the whole thing out at once, you know? Uh, come uh, and let all the nations understand who he is, and that's it. But Yeshua came, and it's kind of like the same idea of leaving Egypt and being in the wilderness on the way to the promised land. It's the same idea that we're called to live on this journey. We're called, in a way, to experience whatever this world dishes out, but uh, with the saving knowledge of, of the Lord. And that's why you read all those passages about, you know, when trials and temptation come, consider it all joy, uh, because it, it helps us to endure, and it ultimately it gives us hope, and we uh, move forward. That is the healthy way of experiencing uh, the sadnesses of life. That yes, we mourn, we grieve, we feel bad, but we never uh, indeed lose hope because we're on that journey. Uh, and so here at Beth Messiah, you know, we can look back over 40 years and we could say, a job well done. You know, when you go back to 9th Avenue and, and then you come to uh, 4950 Morris Road, I, we could say we're done. Look at uh, a great 40-year 40 40 run, and now we'll just sort of sit on it all and enjoy ourselves and wait for another generation to come and do it, and we'll just sort of, you know. But that's not what God calls us to do. God calls us to always be trusting him for more and to be moving forward. You know, one of the things we learn with all of this is that uh, this life takes place in real life. In, in, a, in real life, and that this life in the Lord is not a separation from this life. Israel, Abraham coming out of Ur of the Chaldees was, was real in this life. Israel coming out of Egypt was real. The time in the wilderness was not leaving earth. They, when they left Egypt, they didn't leave earth. They actually went to a more difficult place. Dif more difficult. The wilderness was more difficult than Egypt. See? And so, you know, when we uh, uh, come to know the Lord, life can become very difficult, but it is still very spiritual. Embrace it. It's part of your journey with the Lord, see? And he walks with you. And it may not be comfortable, and you may have great dissatisfaction, but you are not alone. And the great hope is the resurrection, a new heaven, a new earth, the new Jerusalem, whether it's in this physical lifetime or not. 
After all, our body is decaying, but we're being renewed day by day, and that is your eternal life that's inside of, of you that indeed does, uh, does uh, continue. And so, taking all that into consideration, God has given us a physical presence here in our city, you know, and we're stewards of it all. And our desire is that, that, that the physical, visible journey of Beth Messiah congregation can be seen by the greater community in a way that it can understand God's blessing. And so we want to be able to do that uh, and advance the cause of Yeshua at the same time by people coming to know him by our desire to enhance our worship situation with a sanctuary that works better for us than this room and an educational wing, all for the purpose of growing in our faith, of moving forward. And it's a fabulous exercise of trust. It's a fabulous exercise of not being comfortable. Some might say, oh, I've got to go through. Why are we going to do this? Because we're always seeking comfort. And what a great lesson this whole thing is in, just, in walking with the Lord, slowly and deliberately uh, following him. And so I hope that this Sukkot, you know, it's like a great vision of the future. We're here at Sukkot and we're ready to keep moving on. We're ready to move on into this next year. We're uh, ready for, wow, what will 5776 bring us? What will from this Sukkot to next Sukkot bring us? Probably some real victories and some real joys and some real challenges at the same time. But that's what it means to be human. And that's what it means to live. But God has provided for us a salvation. He's given us a pledge, the Ruach HaKodesh, so that we can withstand whatever is dished out and we can continue moving forward in this life, living a, a, a life well lived, see? And so as we think about the sukkah and that flimsy structure that it is, may we remember that God has called us to live in a paradox. He's called us to live in this world, in Columbus, Ohio, in 2015, but to know that our real shelter and our refuge is the Lord who is real and who gives us a joy unspeakable, no matter what our circumstances may be, because the day will indeed come when we will indeed experience a great inheritance. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, God, uh, for um, uh, Sukkot, for the journey. Lord, in some ways, our life is the sukkah. Lord, in some ways, our life is the sukkah. Uh, flimsy, cold, rainy. But Lord, thank you that when we look up through the roof, we can see the stars. And we know, God, that you, uh, you are true to your word. And Lord, we thank you, God, that the sukkah reminds us that it is not in just the, uh, the comforts of this world that we find our peace. Lord, there's lots of sad people that have every comfort that there could possibly be. But Lord, may we experience that joy unspeakable in our sukkah, Lord, uh, knowing that you are our refuge and that you uh, in the past had us dwell in those booths and protected us and that you continue to do so and that you indeed will continue to do so. And so, Lord, whatever circumstance we may be in life, 
Lord, I pray that we would remember Sukkot and that we would rejoice in the Sukkah of our lives. And we pray in Messiah's name.